Welcome to Autism Weekly, the podcast that discusses autism news, current events, and inclusion. Each week, we welcome a guest to the program to share their unique perspective and expertise as it relates to the fascinating world of autism. I am your host, Jeff Skabitsky. I'm the founder and president at ABS. I've been in the field of autism and applied behavior analysis as a clinician and advocate for nearly two decades. This week, I'm excited to talk with a fellow behavior analyst, Lindsay Hoffman, about telehealth services. Who thought we'd be there? Lindsay led the charge to develop a telehealth policy in response to the COVID-19 pandemic that helped behavior analysts across ABS connect with families and supervise ABA therapy from a safe distance. Lindsay, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Jeff. Thanks so much for having me. So, Lindsay, we're doing this podcast recording in January of 2021. We've been actively responding to COVID-19 since March of 2020. That's nearly a full year. At this point, telehealth services almost seem like the new normal. Now we live in the world of video conference calls and Zoom meetings. What was it like back in March 2020 when this initially started? It was a little chaotic back in March 2020. Uh, we, we were just starting to shut down different states, different areas. Utah officially shut down mid-March. Um, so we were, we were really scrambling at that point to figure out how are we going to continue care for our patients. This is a vital service. They need this. And we need to protect them and also our team from exposure to this virus. Yeah, I think it's interesting is that you initially is that we went from a situation where we were trying to figure out what technology was out there already built, already available to us. And because the, of the pandemic and us learning so much, we've had a chance now to fine tune and decide on what technology maybe we're going to build, what we're going to add on, how we're going to make it better, how we're going to make it more accessible to families. Those are things that are super exciting because despite this pandemic being such a horrible, horrible thing, we might end up making the service better, which I would never have thought in March 2020 would have been an option. Yeah, that wasn't even on our radar back then. I, I don't think any of us were even, I, I know I wasn't thinking about telehealth until March 2020 when it suddenly became a big part of my reality and, and has been since then. How quickly did the industry make this change during COVID? Yes. Yeah. From, from my perspective, it moved extremely quickly, actually. In the state of Utah, where, where I'm located, we officially shut down mid-March and, and really within a few days, we had received approval from our, all of our insurance funders to start providing services via telehealth, especially at the behavior analyst level. Um, some of our technicians need to still be in person for a lot of the time, depending on the, the patient, but a lot of the behavior analysts were immediately able to start doing our, our program modifications and supervision over telehealth. And it's, it's been really fast. Um, I, I actually looked back at some of the dates and it was really within days of Utah's official shutdown that we received work. We were, we were good to go for that. Now, so being told that you can do something and being able to create a system to be able to do it well to understand the challenges that families are going to experience, to understand the challenges in the mindset of your clinicians are two different things. What was the view from the family perspective when initially we started having to do more and more video-based services? How did they respond? 
Um, it really varied. You know, every family was a little different depending on their specific set of circumstances. But I think most families were really on board right off the bat. They were very excited to be able to continue care um, without having to have an interruption in their care with their child. But they were still able to, to see their, their behavior analyst without exposing their home to potentially anybody that might have been exposed to the virus. So a lot of the families jumped right on board. They were really excited about it. The industry also responded really quickly, putting out a lot of trainings. Um, you saw the Behavioral Health Center of Excellence, excuse me, put out um, some web, some telehealth trainings right away, as well as the um, some other organizations like the ABA associations across the country, California Association for Behavior Analysts, uh, CALABA. Uh, lots of trainings were, were put out right away. Um, so it, it was really a quick turnaround, I think, in the industry. And I think that I think I might have jumped ahead in the questioning, but we're talking about telehealth. We're talking about telehealth with the service delivery model for children that usually requires a lot of hands-on, in-person engagement. Can, can you right. even describe to me what this even is? What is telehealth with ABA? What does that look like? Right. Yeah, it depends. It depends on the kid. Again, um, we provide service at two levels. So we have our technicians that are doing the one-on-one hands-on work with the kiddos. And um, in some cases that can be done over telehealth. In other cases, it doesn't work so very well, especially with our younger learners that can't sit at a computer. Then the behavior analysts that do the treatment assessment and all of the ongoing treatment planning, that service was moved to telehealth. And so what it looks like is if we're doing supervision over telehealth, we're, we're logging in on a computer screen and then the behavior analyst is able to see the room and see what's going on in the room. And we're able to observe what's going on while the different learning programs are being implemented and behavior supports are being delivered for the kid. So uh, just hearing all of that that's going on, I would imagine is that you're going to have some interesting experiences at times. And at ABS, and I would imagine just your experience of being able to collaborate with a lot of other practitioners in general, what are some of the unique kind of interesting or funny or awkward experiences that uh, that you've seen during the telehealth experience. What were some of the unexpected events that might have occurred? I'm sure everyone can relate to the frozen screen. We've all had the embarrassing frozen screen with our silly facial expression that we're making in the middle of that. Or um, we've had We've had some some funny things where siblings didn't realize that there was a telehealth session com- going on, and so there might have been some uh, funny behaviors happening in the background. Or sometimes, uh, kiddo, other other kids in the house, or sometimes even the kiddo uh, is tri- doing some attention behaviors, doing some attention seeking, trying to be silly on the camera. Sometimes that can get a little disorganized and chaotic when we're trying to teach a new skill. <laughs> But it, so with that learning experience and that transition, which there's always going to be bumps in the road, how did you get the parent buy-in? How did, how did you work through that initial probably hiccup of, hold on, what is this supposed to do? How is this going to work? How did you get the parents bought in to understand that you can still deliver high-quality service? I think for the most part, our teams, our teams showed. We really needed to show that we could do it for the most part. You know, we had a lot of conversations leading into it with different families, um, and some, some families were still hesitant. Um, and so it was just that process of, of doing it. So setting up the appointments, walking them through it, and showing that it, it can still work. We can still be effective in observing the child and, and their team and seeing what's going on and making appropriate decisions for their treatment plan. And knowing that, 
telehealth is going to be around now because of the pandemic, but we've probably as an industry learned that there are key components to telehealth that actually strengthen our service delivery model. What are some of the benefits? What are the things that we've learned as an industry from your perspective that is going to carry on past COVID with the service delivery model using telehealth? I think the number one thing is access to care. Um, it has opened up a whole world of access. The whole time I've been a behavior analyst, I've heard from fam- families, especially in rural areas or places where they don't have a lot of behavior analysts in their area, that they can't get service. And so that's been one thing is, is that I think it's now opening up the horizon for a lot of families where if you can receive care over telehealth, maybe you don't need a, a behavior analyst that can drive to your home. Um, on a weekly basis. And so I think access to care is the number one thing. Um, it also alleviates any any transportation barriers that may be in place. Sometimes kids don't have a way to be able to come to our center and things like that. So that we're able to continue care over telehealth without needing transportation. I think for the behavior analysts, uh, not needing to drive, it can st- streamline their schedules quite a bit. They can do more hours with the kids that they work with. And so they're able to uh, get more deep into the therapy plan and really evaluate, spend more time um, on the plans and make better decisions. So I think that's been the number one thing is just that access to care. Yeah, I think that the access to care piece is so important. It's something that a lot of parents have fought for since the beginning of any sort of insurance mandate, since um, the diagnosis and the treatment had been given as far as this is important to do at a certain level of hour, a certain level of intensity, and without having access to continuous care, it becomes really hard. Um, I think that is one thing that that we've learned is that we can get to some of these remote areas. We're not creating some artificial barrier to treatment just based off of geography of where somebody lives. I mean, it's sad to think you live in the wrong place, you don't get care. And this is one of those areas that we can open it up, which is wonderful to see. A lot of people out there have two working parents that are are out in the workspace during the day. They're not there regularly to do parent meetings with their clinician at normal hours. How has that piece, how has the parent education piece changed for you? Um, yeah, it's, it's made it much easier. I think for, for many of our behavior analysts there, it's quite a bit easier to schedule that with various families there, you know, neither party has to worry about driving to a location. So people are able to meet a, a little bit earlier in the day or a little bit later in the day and still um, have that work into their overall schedules. And so I think it's, it's been really great for both parents and VAs to be able to to have an easier time scheduling that. For me personally, I've found my meetings are a little bit more efficient as well um, in some cases when I'm just face-to-face with that parent and, and we often have fewer distractions when we're not in the home environment. There's not siblings yelling or different things going on. So oftentimes I, I, we actually are a little bit more productive and that's not always the case, of course, but um, in, in some cases it has been. And and that sentiment that you just provide right there, I think that that's echoed across a variety of healthcare industries is that um, I've heard that from the pediatric world. I've actually heard that from the geriatric world. I mean, if we're going away from kids, is that sometimes it's more productive and that you're able to focus better by removing some of those distractors. Because if a child has to come with their parent to do a parent education session and the other children are there 
and life is going on around them because they're in their home environment and they have all those distractions, it becomes very hard to focus on a conversation. I run into that all the time working from home right now as I got kids running behind me constantly. And guess what? You know, it, it's inevitable that I'm going to get distracted every once in a while. And this doing it through telehealth, at least the parent consult part, seems like it could have those advantages. Yes, definitely. We find that. But probably also learned disadvantages from that model over this time period is that it can't work for every single kid in every single instance. Right now, we might be forced to do that because we're in a pandemic. But what are some of the things that you've seen where, you know, I hit a sticking point. Telehealth is too limiting for me right now. Or, you know, I have to be out there for this particular child because of the severity of the behavior that's occurring. I need to be in the home to see what, give me some perspective on that from the clinician end of where that, where that breaks down. Yeah. So uh, we find that there are, there are times, like you mentioned with sometimes the child's behavior is a little bit more intensive um, and, and the, we need to be able to be there to get the full picture of what's going on. It can be limiting when you're just looking, when you're just seeing his camera screen, you know, you, you have a, a, a restricted view of the full environment. So that's been one barrier is, is oftentimes we do need to be there to see the full picture. Um, and we also, depending on the personality of the behavior analyst, um, but in many cases, we're more effective in modeling. So when we're wanting to show our teams or the caregivers how to do something with the patient, it it is usually better for us to actually be there in person with the kiddo and showing it. Um, It's it's usually a little bit more effective. So when we need to do a lot of that modeling, that's a barrier to the telehealth, I would say. So do you see the future of the telehealth delivery model for ABA being one that's kind of a hybrid and that there's going to be specific uh, activities or specific times where using telehealth is your best chance for success. And that there's going to be other times where I'm going to have to be in the home and the same child might have a mixture of care. Yes. And I think that's even happening now at ABS um, quite frequently, depending on if a kiddo is sick or if they've had an exposure, then we might move the behavior analyst to telehealth or if the behavior analyst has had an exposure um, or in other cases where they do need to be in person and on my own um, case that I I supervise, I am doing essentially that. I do some of my parent meetings over telehealth, depending on the convenience for the the parent and their work schedule. Sometimes I go see them in their home if that works into their schedule. Um, And then I'm also doing some in-person supervision when when behaviors are higher, when we've had a routine change or, you know, after the holidays, I I went in and went in person. When I've had a new technician working with that patient, I go in person. And then when things are stable and we don't, and we're not needing to, we're not having a lot of change or intensity in the behavior, then I'm able to do more telehealth and and reduce the exposure for everybody that way. So knowing that telehealth is probably here to stay and, and has some very inherent value to it. As a family, I'm trying to figure out how do I make this work? What do I need to do? How can I make the environment better for that behavior analyst to see the whole world that I'm living in and experience my life? Do you have tips for families or clinicians, I guess? Both would be great on how to set up an environment so that they can really get a whole picture 
of what life is. Yes, yes, for sure. I think the first thing is talk to each other, you know, have that conversation, make sure that the, the parents and the behavior analysts do need to be in contact, be in communication, make a plan. You know, the, I think that's the, the thing I found most effective is before the telehealth appointment, having a conversation about what that's going to look like. So just talking about it, communicating, um, and then setting it up. So I, I wrote a little note for myself, check your tech, you know, um, know what technology you're going to need available, and then make sure that it's working, that it's set up ahead of time, make sure it's charged, all of that, like logistical stuff. Um, but then also, as it, we've found that it works really well if, if there can be a designated therapy location in the home, maybe a room, a playroom for the child where there's toys available, but it's, it's a little bit more of a controlled environment. It can be hard if the camera is needing to move all around the house all the time. That's not to say that it, it can't work because it certainly can, um, but sometimes it's nice if we have a therapy table or a therapy room um, and then the camera can be set up kind of in a corner. So it gives them more of a wide angle view of, of everything that's happening. What you describe there gives a pretty good idea is that, I mean, you're going to have to create the environment. But one of the big things in ABA is I want to make this so that it, it fits the community. I want to make this so the child can take these skills they're learning and make these skills useful, effective across other environments. How does, how does that occur? If, if you're unable to move from room to room, can you teach in a way that the child can still generalize or still figure out ways that these skills are beneficial beyond treatment. So one of the ways we do that is we can bring in more of the natural uh, events that happen in the child's life. We can set up um, a contrived version of, of what we might be dealing with in the natural environment, bring in materials that are more natural to their normal, regular day-to-day life. Um, we've also found this has been really great for those kids, those school-age kids that are doing remote learning, distance learning, where we're able to see them in action and we're, we're actually interacting with them in a remote way. So we're seeing how, how able are they to access their instruction that way through their, for their school programs. And then that can inform some of our treatment too. So we're making sure that we're helping them. And since we're talking Zoom meetings and you brought up the idea of, you know, their natural life might now incorporate interacting with their friends on the screen, interacting with their classmates on their screen. Have you seen any of you, the children that you work with or heard stories of any of the children where you're like, wow, I didn't realize that they had these social capabilities. Now I see them using social media or using these chat features or interacting on video games. And it's like, wow, this person has some skills that I did not know about. Was there any of that for you? Yes, surprisingly, we've seen quite a bit of that. In fact, um, I've had lots of my behavior analysts uh, reporting to me that they're they're getting whole new qualities of interaction with their kiddos when they're over a screen. And in many cases, our our kids really, really like looking at screens, and that's highly motivating for them. And so now their behavior analyst is on a screen. All of a sudden, they're much more motivated to to talk to the behavior analyst and and, and interact with them in new ways. And so we are. We have seen quite a bit of that. Um, just a couple of days ago, I had a behavior analyst tell me about um, some conversations she was having with a teenage patient that she, she didn't think she would ever break through to that level with him. Um, so it was really exciting for everybody. Yeah, it's, it's funny is that how much we could actually learn from the children that we're serving on adaptability during COVID on how to socially engage. And I think that you're right is that sometimes in interacting over the screen for some of our kids, makes that social 
engagement, non-confrontational, makes it a little bit easier to be able to do what is sometimes a challenging task for them. It's that connection. So, yeah, yeah, I think having some of the real-world stimuli and and things around them dampened a little bit, it, it makes it a little bit easier to have that interaction. So. As we're looking at wrapping up here, I I do have a question for you is that you've been doing this now for almost a year and you've helped to guide a program on how to do it really effectively without seeing drop off in some of the clinical performance, which is amazing. But what tips in general would you give to families right now on telehealth, on advocating for their child to be able to access these these services and how to look at post-COVID, the benefits and engagement and opportunities with telehealth. Do you have something that you would say to the families at large to kind of help them really understand or to, to know their opportunities? Yeah, I think I'm going to go back to that, that thing I said earlier is talk to your behavior analyst have that conversation, ask them what, what's available and what's the best, what their opinion is of the best options for, for your child. At the end of the day, we always say the parents are the experts on their child. We're the behavior experts, but each parent is the expert on their individual child and their needs. And so we want to work together to determine what's going to be the, the most beneficial treatment model for that kiddo. And, and for every kiddo, that might look a little bit different. And, and we've got, we, we have some different assessment processes that we're using to kind of evaluate the, the appropriateness of telehealth for each kid and also the, the risk for them, whether they move to telehealth or don't move to telehealth. So, so we're, we're definitely um, prepared to have those conversations and help each family make that, that best decision for, for their own child. And to move away from the parent perspective is that clinicians play a large role in the longevity of this being a service option, what would you request or what would you guide your clinicians to do to make sure that if this is a service that we'd want to hold on to, that they're doing now, that they're already thinking through, or that they need to prepare for to make sure that this service delivery model remains viable? I think continue to provide really high quality care, make sure that the procedures you're using are effective, keep follow your data, you know, don't, don't be complacent and let something continue on for too long, you know, continue trying an intervention approach that isn't working. If it's not working over telehealth, try it a new, try a new way, tweak it until you can make it work. Um, so that we can make sure that we're, we're continuing to provide that effective care and then document it, show our insurance companies that we're doing this telehealth and we're doing it well. Yeah, I think that that's one thing that's super important right now is that we have the chance to demonstrate that this model of care is effective, which to what you pointed out earlier, opens up access. Access is so important right now in healthcare because there's so many parts of our society, communities, uh, geographic spaces, groups of people that just don't have equal access to care right now. And this is one way to start to build that bridge back. So I think that it is important for us to advocate, but also demonstrate on a regular basis and put that out there. So I, I appreciate what you said there, because I think it is really important. Um, well, thank you so much 
for joining us today, Lindsay. I think that what you've put into the efforts at ABS are definitely appreciated. And I think that the knowledge set that you're giving a lot of clinicians on the go forward and preparing them to be able to make the right decisions on the use of this new technology is going to pay very large dividends. So thank you for coming on the, on the show and sharing. Thank you so much for having me. It's been, it's been an absolute honor to, to have been able to be a part of the telehealth development at ABS. And, 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 and thanks for having me on the podcast. Unfortunately, from March 2020 until now, COVID has not gone away. And unfortunately, again, is that even with vaccinations, is that we're still going to have to be cautious. We're still going to have to practice a lot of the safety protocols, which means telehealth is going to be here um, through the pandemic. And one of the things I've learned is that there's a good chance that telehealth is going to continue. Our government has already given some temporary guidance to continue it through any of the remnants of the pandemic, and they're looking to make it a permanent service. What Lindsay's pointed out is that families are seeing the benefit of this. She said that it's opening up access to care. These are very important pieces to be able to get parent involvement on their terms and also open it up to larger groups and larger communities. So as much as we were forced into telehealth, as much as this was not something that we initially had thought to do, telehealth is going to make therapeutic service delivery better in the long run. And it's something that for us to continue to eye to improve. Thank you for listening to Autism Weekly. We hope you tune back in next week to learn more about autism in the real world. Autism Weekly is now found on all of the major listening apps, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon Music, and more. Subscribe to be notified when we post a new podcast. Autism Weekly is produced by ABS. ABS is proud to provide diagnostic assessments and ABA therapy to children with developmental days, delays like autism spectrum disorder. You can learn more about ABS and the Autism Weekly podcast by visiting abskids, that's plural, dot com. Thanks for tuning in. See you again next week.